You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, alongside Ben Folks, as always. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, the co-main event stickers and koozies are starting to land with the fine patrons of our podcast through Patreon. Finally got those bad boys in the mail, and it seems like uh, people are starting to receive them. It's a good feeling. It's also a good feeling to be able to tell everybody... Shut the fuck up about the koozies now. Yeah. Uh, I saw at least one patron was so excited about receiving their, their koozie that they uh, put your home address on the internet. Well, I mean, are you concerned I'm going to start receiving mail bombs or something? I can't say that I am. at my house looking for autographs? I'm not all that more concerned than I was before. Let's just say that. Let's just put it that way. Okay. I guess I'm just hopeful that the CME faithful would not misuse that information. I was surprised that you used your home address, given that we have a a P.O. box. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You guys just asked me for my address, and I'm on autopilot there. I guess. I guess. But good news. Koozies are out there starting to get to the people. Uh, If you are a patron of the podcast and you don't receive a koozie, uh, you know, we're going to do a second round of mailing. So... Maybe hold off on that for a little while. I know the people are excited. They're already starting to send us their addresses for the second round. Uh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that as soon as we figure out, maybe in a general sense, how this first mailing went. One thing I'm going to go ahead and admit now that I've experienced what it's like to deal with the shipping costs to Sweden. Yeah. When I get a message from somebody asking if they can give us their address for a koozie and their last name ends in son that has two S's. Yeah. I'm immediately like, uh oh. I don't know. This is going to cost a pretty penny. I don't know about this one. Send this koozie out to Tomas Mickelson. Yeah. Something tells me he's not asking us to send it to Austin, Texas. You know what I'm saying? He's asking us to spend 35 bucks or whatever, send it to Stockholm. Ben, we're trying something a little bit new on the podcast this week. We're trying some new mics. We got a different audio set up, both for the live stream and for the actual recording of the podcast. I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's going to work. These mics that we're using right now might turn out to be way too sensitive. I don't know how it's going to go, but this is a trial run. We're giving it a shot this week on the CME. If it's a disaster, we won't do it again. I mean, that applies to pretty much everything we've done over the course of the show. And by if it's a disaster, we won't do it again. We mean we'll do it a few more times. Yeah, we might do it for years and years, but continue to pledge that we'll figure out how to do it correctly at some point. Yeah. So there's that. People know by now. Hey, speaking speaking of Sweden, new music alert, Ben. We got music this week from Stockholm-based producer Simeo, a.k.a. co-main event podcast listener Alfred Larson. Is there two S's in his last name? Possibly, yeah. See, you say we got music from Stockholm. I think we're immediately we're talking about our guy Stockholm Rass. I mean, it would not be a stretch to say that at this point we've got our fingers on the pulse of the Stockholm music scene. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We could turn into Stockholm music producers. 
If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash semio. That's S-E-E-M-I-O. So I hope the people like that. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, a couple weeks back, we talked about how UFC China ended perfectly for the fight company's expansion efforts in that country. That did not happen in Mexico City. No. no. Nope. Not a perfect ending there. Nope. At all. Mm-mm. Round number two, it's never too early to start talking Bobby Knuckles versus Israel Adesanya, so we're going to get a head start on that. And in round number three, a bevy, a veritable bevy of MMA going down this weekend. We'll get to as much of it as we possibly can. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our old friend, the Cheeseburger Walrus. Okay, naturally. He writes, Were we like a millisecond away from the first ever double spinning backfist KO in UFC history? Discourse Steven Peterson's awesome KO and Bravo's near miss. So, of course, he's talking about the curtain jerker on the main card of this UFC Mexico City card, a featherweight fight between Steven Peterson and Martin Bravo. Uh, ended in the second round during like a pretty admittedly interesting exchange where Bravo like missed a spinning back elbow. And then immediately Steven Peterson was sort of already in process of throwing his own, his own spinning back fist, which in fact knocked Martin Bravo out cold. I love the idea that we we're longing for something like this double spinning back fist KO. Yeah. MMA fans would be all about it. Yeah, that's something that that uh, that we want to see. I still remember, I think the first double knockout I ever saw was that one where Shoney Carter was the ref. And they knock each other out and Shoney Carter just stood there and like grabbed, like put his hands on his head like he was trying to keep his, his brain from exploding out of his skull. Like he could not believe the craziness of what he had just seen. What do you think he'd do if he saw a double spinning back fist knockout? He would just faint. He would yeah. just fall dead away. Just out cold on the canvas. Somebody, you'd have to get the fight doctor in there for the whoever got knocked out and the referee who had just swooned. Yeah, and when he'd wake up, he'd have no memory of it. He'd have just blacked it out completely. Both Steven Peterson and Martin Bravo came into this thing on the heels of two straight losses. Peterson was a slight underdog here, Ben. For much of this fight, he was kind of getting it handed to him by Martin Bravo. He made a little bit of a comeback here down the the stretch in the first round, but he was probably losing this fight. And then, boom, not only does he score the awesome spinning back fist knockout, he gets a performance of the night bonus, an extra 50 Gs for your guy, Steven Peterson. Yeah, not a bad night of work down there in Mexico City for him. His nickname is Ocho. Okay. Do we know what that refers to? My sources tell me it means eight. Okay, that, that's, I think you're on the right track there. I'm, that wasn't the full extent of my question. I kind of wanted to know why Steven Peterson... He's murdered eight men. Okay. Murdered eight <laughs> men in prison. Yeah. Well, I guess that explains it. Mm-hmm. That also explains all of his teardrop tattoos. Yeah. After, a while, after like the sixth or seventh teardrop tattoo, it's no longer an honor. At that point, you're just kind of like, man, this, this is just a, kind of a pain in the ass at this point. I guess you get used to it. Maybe he is the eighth child in his family. That could also be the case. Okay. Next question this week comes to us. loved eight women. (laughs) Loved them. Uh, He'll never love another. I think all these are are viable options for Steven Peterson. Next question this week comes to us from Dennis Johansson. 
So that's one of those, probably one of those guys you don't want to be sending a koozie out to. Or it's a professional hockey player or something. I'm going to look into this. Well, there's obviously a professional hockey player named Dennis Johansson. There just is going <laughs> to be. That's, just playing the odds, you yeah. think? He writes, surprised that we've gotten three fights by stoppage via eye pokes over three weekends in a row, and there's no call to arms to change the gloves. Is it so simple that there is no better alternative, uh, and that's why it's so quiet? So, yeah, we had... Uh, it's a professional darts player named Dennis Johansson. He's from Denmark. Yeah, that's... Uh, that checks out a little bit. That does not surprise me. Matt Mitrione against Czech Congo. You mean Ryan Bader against Czech Congo. Same thing. The other Matt Mitrione, Ryan Bader. Jesus Christ. Uh, beats Czech Congo. Or no, no contest due to eye pokes. Then we had uh, Todd Duffy against Jeff Hughes. No contest due to eye pokes. And then this weekend, of course, the main event over at UFC Mexico, which we'll talk about in more detail during round number one. But Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens ends in a no contest just 15 seconds into the fight, which is... Kind of a bummer, man. Yeah, for, especially uh, because this fight card not like it had star-studded lineup from top to bottom where you're like, yeah, no, I got to be in my seat for the very first one. No, you were kind of along for the ride for the main event of this. Yeah. Uh, so as Dennis points out here, Ben, three fights in the last few weekends, all no contests due to eye pokes. We've heard about we've heard a lot of talk about this in MMA over the years that uh, we need to change the gloves, we need to officiate the way fighters hold their hands differently. We haven't really had any action up to this point, and now we have this run of no contests due to eye pokes. What can be done? What should be done? Why hasn't something been done already? The old Joe Rogan rant, right, that you just push the button on, on his back and he goes into the rant about how you've got to change the gloves so that you can't... The, the glove design, I think, that he wants is the one where you can't flex your fingers out all the way. Right. But, like, it has to leave you enough of a room to grip for grappling stuff. Yeah. And if it does that, then there's still going to be a chance of eye pokes. And the way that we always see the eye pokes happen, basically, is that, you know, you're throwing a punch and the other guy's trying to counter and come forward and you're just out of, like, instinct reaching out your hand to kind of stop him, either to deflect his punch or to, to check his advance. And even if you're not able to fully extend your fingertips, if you can still get him out there a little bit, that eye poke situation is not going to get that much better just because of the gloves. So I don't know what you do. I think it's just the thing we have to learn to live with. When they all pile up like this, then it seems like a crisis, but it's not like anything's changed. It's just, you know, coincidence, I think. Maybe the thing to do is disqualification. Like, it's immediate disqualification if you poke somebody in the eye and they can't continue, regardless of how long the fight is gone. Do you think that will change people? Do you think men, then people are going to be a little more careful uh, what they do with their fingers? Maybe, but at the same time, I mean, this is one of those instances where I feel like we start out thinking it can be an easy, quick fix, and it never really turns out to be that way. I think you would have, I mean, just look at the reaction from last weekend's fight, which we'll talk about in round number one, and how mad everybody was that Jeremy Stevens' Yair Rodriguez ended after after just 15 seconds. If that had been an, an official loss for Rodriguez... I mean, you'd probably still be putting the arena in Mexico City back together again, right? I don't know what you think they're going to get. When you're throwing beer and garbage at people, I'm not sure there's too many more levels to go to above that. I don't think that the crowd would have been any angrier if they left thinking, and Yair Rodriguez now has an extra L on his record. I don't think they would have cared about that. I think they're just mad that not getting to see the fight that they came for. 
but I guess my question is, do you think that it's something where people are doing this because there's no major consequence to it? Like maybe you'll poke the guy in the eye on accident, but if you do, as we've covered under the tenets of Dundasso, the pressure will be on him to continue. Yeah. Even if he's his vision's a little blurry, he's a little bit compromised, all the pressure is on him that, to say, no, I'm fine, so we can get this thing started again. In the event, the relatively rare event that he does not say that, that he says, I can't continue, I can't see, whatever, and the fight is stopped, well, all right, it's a no contest, you didn't get your win money, but you also didn't suffer the consequences of a loss. Yeah, but do you think like if it is going to be a uh, win for the guy who gets poked and it's going to be a loss for the the poker that you would start to see more people bow out after their five minutes or after getting poked in the eye? Because we are are already dealing with this stigma where people are trying to say uh, Todd Duffy just wanted a way out after waiting four years to get back in the cage in a fight that it looked like he was winning. He just decided he wanted a way out. If people are actually getting you know, literal rewards if they're actually getting the second half of their money and they're getting the, the win on their record. I think that just like casts an even thicker pall of suspicion over the the person who is injured in this unfortunate exchange. Yeah, but don't we need to swing some of the balance back in the direction of the person who has been fouled? This is already there's like there's so much. I mean, Jeremy Stevens gets poked in the eye. And he, he's the one who gets shit thrown at him. Yes. Can't even open his damn eye. And they're throwing beer at him on his way out of the arena. Like, already, it seems so heavily tilted toward the person who has done the fouling. Like, he, he gets to walk around the cage and be like, oh, hey, can you believe this? This Look is some bullshit. Yeah, we need to get this fight restarted again. If you shift that a little bit, I don't think that there's too many people who are going out there and like if, the moment they get poked in the eye are going to be doing the calculation of, okay... Just tell him you can't see, collect that win bonus, and it's smooth sailing right to the title from here. I I, I don't think that they're doing that. I got a quick fix. Okay. Marshmallows. Both fighters wear 10 marshmallows, one on each finger. Okay. Okay. So that if if you do get poked in the eye, all you get is a little bit of marshmallow dust in your eye. Doesn't doesn't cause a big a big problem. Yeah, no, I can't see a single problem with that. It's perfect. Plus, it would make MMA fighting a lot more adorable mm-hmm. if the guys were yeah. out there with, you know, marshmallow fingers. That's the like... biggest problem I can foresee is that heavyweight. <laughs> what are you saying? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> we're going to have to have some replacement marshmallows ready? A bag full, yeah. Well, I look forward to the debut of Marshmallow FC. I think that it's going to be a huge hit. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm sure all your your shady Russian investors will be really excited about it. Can you imagine the referee? It'd be like, you don't put your fingers in the cage, except he'd be like, don't you eat that marshmallow. <laughs> don't eat that marshmallow. This is your last warning. I mean, but it's a marshmallow. They're delicious. Yeah, it'd be hard not to eat them. Next question this week comes to us from Randy Poffo. Okay. The Macho Man. Yeah. Writing in. I again. appreciate, again, that he does not need to use the Macho Man moniker. He knows. Yeah, he knows we're, we're we know. Boys, yeah. This is from Beyond the Grave from the Macho Man. Sup, brothers? 
we need to talk about our boy Paul Craig, a.k.a. Bear Jew, a.k.a. one of the nicest dudes in the UFC, a.k.a. my illegitimate brother. The man goes out there on the last fight of his contract, smashes Vinicius Moreira's face with his knee, throws some wild punches, parenthetically, the man needs to work on that striking game, and then locks in that rear naked choke in the first round. I thought he could only win fights when there was less than 10 seconds remaining. But seriously, this dude teaches special needs kids, has an autism awareness tattoo, chokes people out, talks and dresses like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, and is just a stand-up guy. I couldn't be happier to see him get that win, and I hope the UFC gives this man a big contract and some more high-profile fights so the rest of the world can see how it's not all douchebags and meatheads in the UFC. Okay, fair point. I mean, I don't think that he is going to get a great big contract with a bunch of high-profile fights. Seems like the UFC has decided who they think Paul Craig is and what he is good for, and it's exactly stuff like this. But he is one of the people where when I see him on a fight card, I go, oh yeah, Paul Craig. He's fun to have around. I like that guy. Don't even really care that much whether he wins or loses. I didn't even know about his autism awareness tattoo. I didn't know about that either. I wonder what it is. What is his autism awareness tattoo? Let me see if I can figure it out for you. I think we have learned, Ben, especially in recent years, that the UFC isn't out here handing out big contracts because you're a good person. It's not a good person barometer that determines how much you get paid in the UFC. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes... You can get paid a lot in the UFC while being a very bad person. That seems to be a uh, a truism. It depends on you know what your notoriety is, how much money you're bringing in, not necessarily you, you, what kind of uh, moral human you are. That said, I think that we are all happy to have Paul Craig in the game. Uh, he's three and two at this point in his last five, so it's been a while since he lost those two in a row back in 2017 to Tyson Pedro and Khalil Roundtree. Uh, he's won more than he's lost. He's on the upswing. He seems like a, a cool guy to have around. The co-main event podcast is in favor of Paul Craig. Yeah. Did you find out what his tattoo is nope. yet? You didn't find out what his autism awareness tattoo is? He's got a bunch of tattoos, so that makes it a little bit But difficult. it seems like if you Googled Paul Craig autism awareness tattoo, that would You be... would think so, and yet... Yet you would be wrong? Nothing, nothing really. Uh, somehow... I'm getting results about how Jenny McCarthy still thinks vaccines cause autism. Okay. So. Get on that, Google. Last question this week comes to us from John Burris, who writes, Sometimes the right combination of style and gimmick can overcome a botched weight cut and a sobering loss. So hear me out. Michelle Pereira versus Platinum Mike Perry. Right? Right? Please briefly discourse. Well, I would watch the shit out of that. Hell yeah, you want to have yourself a crazy uh, matchup of styles there at 170 pounds. I don't know that you could do much better than Platinum Mike Perry versus Michelle Pereira. Also, is this from uh, professional hockey player uh, John Burris? I can only imagine that yes, it is. Did you see Mike Perry on Twitter the other day questioning why he doesn't get tested more by USADA? Oh yeah, you know I saw that. (laughs) You know I saw that. He was like, what, am I not ripped enough? Yeah, am I not buff enough? See, the, you, people can fuck around and give Mike Perry an eating disorder or something. Some kind of body uh, image problems. He's not going to feel like he's ripped enough to get tested by USADA. See, Mike Perry versus Michelle Pereira, that's one that where you could just book it and it doesn't have to mean anything. You stick it anywhere on a fight card. Just, you know, somewhere. You open a main card of a pay-per-view where you want to have some fun with that fight. And yeah. I'm going to show up for that one. You know who's going to get mad about Michelle Pereira's flipping and dancing and cartwheels? 
Platinum Mike. Yeah. He's not here for that. I can almost guarantee that shit. He's going to, he will be livid. Some guy out there trying to, he's already mad. USADA doesn't test him enough. Can you imagine the disrespect of a dude doing backflips? Also, he is not the kind of dude to be like, you know what? All I need to do with this guy is run away from him in the first round. Let him back himself, backflip himself into exhaustion. And then take advantage of maybe some deficiencies in the wrestling game. No. That's not that going to be what Mike Perry. Mike Perry is going to be like, yeah, go ahead and backflip, motherfucker. And I'm going to be waiting for you when you land to punch you in your mouth. That's right. And it's going to be fun as hell. Could this one be in the BMF division? We oh, had, yeah. We had not discussed well, the actually, idea of Michel Pereira. We know Mike Perry might as well be the damn number one contender for the BMF title. I think this one fits more in the CMF division. The crazy motherfucker division. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's really what we're after when we make that booking. That's what we're hoping for, is a couple crazy motherfuckers who are crazy motherfuckers in slightly different ways. Yeah, I could see that. I yeah. was just, I was wondering if we could get a, a a ruling on whether or not Michel Pereira belongs in the in the BMF division. Maybe sometimes people have to fight their way into the division. This is, Mike Perry could be like the gatekeeper. Yeah, this would be like a, like a you know, a NCAA tournament, like play-in game kind of thing. <laughs> like, yeah. you want to be in the BMF division? Okay, yeah, here's your shot. Everyone has to beat Platinum Mike. Well, when you put it like that, he's not going to feel less disrespected. <laughs> no, no, I'll say that. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go up and si- go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, well, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started. Started with round number one. Well, then, despite the fact that the highly anticipated featherweight fight between Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens went only 15 seconds in the main event of this UFC Mexico City card on Saturday night. There's still kind of a lot to talk about regarding what happened during and after this fight. Of course, Yair Rodriguez pokes Jeremy Stevens in the eye 15 seconds into the first round during one of the first significant striking exchanges of the fight basically immediately jeremy stevens can't continue ultimately though they did give him the full five minutes to recover uh herb dean arguably did an admirable job here making sure that everything was officiated correctly that stevens got the time that he deserved to try to recover that as michael bisping said dr herb did everything he could to keep this fight going unfortunately it could not it could not continue jeremy stevens was not able to carry on fighting yair rodriguez in fairness even in the cage as it was happening the eye looked pretty fucked up i think that's a medical term yeah uh And then Jeremy Stevens, of course, gets showered with beer and popcorn and all manner of garbage on his way back to the, uh, to the locker room. I don't know where you want to start on this one, uh, concerning this eye poke, except to say that we still seem to be doing the thing. 
in 2019 in mixed martial arts where when a guy backs out of a fight due to an eye poke or cannot continue, we are still saying that he's scared, that he's a weakling, despite all of this evidence to the contrary, specifically in this fight, that Jeremy Stevens spent $30,000 by his own telling on his training camp in Mexico City, lived there for six weeks. People are really going to think that Jeremy Stevens is going to is going to look for a way out of this fight 15 seconds in after he has sunk the price of a damn new car into getting ready for this thing. That's one of a few things that makes this one almost like a tailor-made case against that typical MMA fan reaction. Because not only do you have the well-publicized cost of his training camp for this one that everybody heard about beforehand... You also have the fact that it happened 15 seconds into the damn fight. It's, I mean, I can almost see how you justify it in your mind if you're like, hey, Todd Duffy was getting tired. That's why he turned that eye poke into a situation where he said he couldn't continue. Or somebody else. Or, you know, check Congo. Being like, he was losing that fight. Ryan Bader was taking it to him. He saw an opportunity to avoid a loss that he had by then realized was inevitable. And he took it. This one... There's nothing that happened where you could convince yourself at all that Jeremy Stevens went into that fight and was just terrified. Like, felt something from Yair Rodriguez and was like, oh no, no, I gotta get away from this. I'll take any, any out to get out of here because that man just is too much. It was just right away he got poked in the eye. Oh, Jeremy Stevens saw the speed of the first two kicks that didn't <laughs> land and was like, I gotta get myself out of yeah, this. Yeah, this is insane. Oh, I've gotten myself into a predicament here. I'm in a pickle. Plus, there is a body of work that Jeremy Stevens has. Plus, do you motherfuckers even know one thing about Jeremy Stevens? Right. Who may yes. not be a likable person. No. But is tough. Is as tough as they come, pretty right. much. And is probably tougher than he is smart in a lot of ways. Even if you were going to tell yourself, Jeremy Stevens got in there, the first few exchanges, he saw just the blazing speed or power of Yair Rodriguez and was like, nope, got to get out of here. He's not that kind of person. Like, even if he did realize, okay, this guy is probably going to beat my ass, he's going to stay in there and take his ass yes, beating. Yes, he absolutely And that's would. the worst part about the Mexico City crowd's reaction to this thing. They made Der- Jeremy Stevens into a sympathetic character. God damn you. <laughs> Why? How did you possibly do that? Don't you make me out here feeling sorry for Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Now... I feel like I'm a broken record here because I feel like I say this a lot, but I'm going to continue to say it as long as I feel like it's true. I feel like this is another example of how the UFC's live event schedule puts so much emphasis and ultimately so much pressure on the main event fight on these cards. Because when you're doing 42 fight cards in a year, and I think this UFC Mexico City card is a great example of that, there just isn't a lot of other stuff on here that people are turning in to see or tuning, turning out to see. If you are uh, going live in Mexico City, if you went to this thing at the Mexico City Arena and you were there for seven hours yes. waiting to see Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens, I can understand how you would be hot if this thing ended after 15 seconds. 
And really, to me, it's just a reflection of where we are in the sport that we're booking these fight cards where the only thing there really is of any interest is Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. So when it ends after 15 seconds due to an accidental eye poke, it feels like a death. It feels like a goddamn travesty that you just wasted all this time watching this this fight card when if you were running a workable uh, yearly menu of live events or if this were the the like golden years of the UFC, Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens would be the curtain jerker on a pay-per-view. Where even if it ended due to this freak eye poke after 15 seconds, there would still be five other fights after it that you would be interested in. We wouldn't be sitting here on a Monday afternoon probably chopping up, hashing out the multiple uh, narratives and fallout from this event. Are you saying that if there was a better co-main event on this one, a better main card... Maybe Jeremy Stevens doesn't get pelted with refuse. Well, I don't want to disparage Carla Esparza and Alexa Grasso, who had a great fight. But, like, it also doesn't help. I don't think that the last four fights on the UFC Mexico City main card went unanimous decision, split draw, majority decision, and then no contest due to eye poke. That's a pretty rough four-fight run there on the tail end of this event that people were probably already starting to get tired and drunk from being at. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We were talking a little bit. We uh, went to a gathering of our friends at, at the park yesterday, and we were standing around there trying to determine what if it had gone the other way? What if Jeremy Stevens had poked Yair Rodriguez? I still think then that ends with Jeremy Stevens still getting pelted with refuse. I don't think the reaction of the crowd... I mean, I understand... I totally understand what you're saying, like being mad that you sat through all this stuff. You came here for this one fight. This is the best fight on the card. And then it ends as soon as it begins in a completely unsatisfying way. And you're just mad. Yeah. You're you're just generally mad. It does a disservice to everyone, including Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. But I don't think... Like, I don't think if it had, if the roles had been reversed, people would be mad at Yair Rodriguez. I think then they'd still find a way to be mad at Jeremy Stevens. That's that possible. Situation. That's possible, yeah. I think they would still be uh, upset all the way around that uh, the fight ended in 15 seconds. But yeah, they probably don't throw stuff at Yair Rodriguez. But at the same time, let's talk about this aspect of it. Let's talk about Yair Rodriguez's reaction to what happened and also the fact that. At least it appeared this way on video that there were other UFC fighters in the arena booing Jeremy Stevens at this happened. I don't know if they were booing the man. I don't know if they were booing the unfortunate circumstance. Uh, but there were, you know, you you might expect this thing from the average like UFC fight night attendee. It's weird to see other fighters. It is criticizing Jeremy Stevens for getting poked in his damn eye. Well. I wrote about this a little bit in my mailbags. I think one of the things that is tricky about the eye poke is that it's really difficult to tell how bad it is. Even like sometimes you just you don't even notice it when it happens in the live action. You don't, the only way you notice it is from one person's reaction to it. And then even when they show it on slow motion replay, there are times where it just looks like a person's finger just kind of grazing your eye. Which, when you watch it, you're like, ah, that doesn't seem so bad. Give him a second to to blink himself clear again, and he ought to be ready to go. But if you've been poked in the eye, you know, it doesn't take that much. Yeah, It really doesn't take that much for you to have a problem with your eye, at least for a few minutes after you've been poked in the eye, because it's your goddamn eye. Yes. 
it's pretty fragile. And so it really makes it to where somebody gets poked, everybody's looking around trying to figure out, like, how bad is his reaction to it? Like, does he seem like he's in terrible pain? Can he open the eye back up again? And this one, he couldn't open it. It was just like, could not physically, it seemed, force his eye open. Yeah. And so that's kind of all you have to go off. It's one thing, you know, when somebody will they'll do the inevitable thing where they'll show like an Instagram picture the next day where their eye is red or something. Like, see, I got poked in the eye. But at the time, it's really difficult for anybody to even tell how bad that is. It's like if you get kicked in the groin, I feel like there's a little more sympathy. We hear the sound of a foot on cup or something. Maybe more people have been through that one. But I, the, the eye poke is so such an easily missable thing that I don't think people even know what to make of it necessarily when they see it. Yeah, this one in particular, clearly Yair Rodriguez did it accidentally. It's not a thing that he meant to go out there and do. But you look at the replay and it's clear that he swatted Jeremy Stevens right in the face with an open hand and got him in the eye with a finger, which you can imagine, like you said, it doesn't take much. That's not going to feel good on your naked and exposed eyeball, which is why for years I've been putting forth the proposal that we put goggles on everybody. So it's goggles now. Uh, marshmallows on the fingers and goggles over the eyes. What do you think? So you have in mind like basically a cartoon yes. mixed with 80s NBA. Yep. Goggles and marshmallows. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm beginning to think your Russian investors are just looking for a way to launder money. Whatever I don't works, see, man. I don't see how anybody's behind this. Whatever works. I don't think it will work. I think it will not work is what I'm saying to you. Shout out to Jeremy Stevens, by the way, for recording a video where he implores Yair Rodriguez that they are going to run this one back. And he's got he's got the, like, the white bandage over his eye mm-hmm. and he's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> he's got the sunglasses on over the bandage. Yeah. You go, Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> It looks at this point, it's like a gimmick that he's committed to because he wore those sunglasses all week leading up to the fight, then gets poked in his damn eye. The bandage, speaking of cartoons, the bandage covers about half of his face and yet still got the sunglasses on. Over. See, and as if to say, no one will notice the bandage. Yeah, that's when you know a choice must have been made because after they put the bandage on, he reaches for the sunglasses and there's a moment where he realizes, oh, wait a minute. And then says, no, fuck it. This is, this is who I am. Yeah. He's just, it's like Brad Hart. He's always going to have those. Maybe that's what Jeremy Stevens is going for. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, you know, if Rampage Jackson had to walk around in a neck brace, but then he still wants to wear his chain, you know, he's like, well, hey, just cause I got the neck brace on. Yeah. Doesn't mean I stopped being Rampage. Marshmallows, goggles, and neck braces. We'll get this sport safe yet. Yeah. I tell you what. It'll be fine. It'll right. be totally fine. Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two this week. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Well, Chad, I was sitting here. I'm looking. I'm perusing the, the MMA headlines, right? And then I see that not only are we going to have a BMF title, right? We, we already established there's going to be an actual physical belt yep. for this thing. Uh the Rock is going to present it. Yes. To the winner. Yes. And we're being very clear that the belt costs $50,000, apparently. Those championship belts aren't cheap, man. 
You fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me with all this stuff? You're fucking kidding me? We're getting a little. It was fun. Now we're getting a little pro wrestling about it. You're gonna tell me how much the belt costs, and then you're gonna get the Rock to present it. What are we doing, guys? It's just a it's a blockbuster event. What are we doing? Fucking kidding me? Making me a little nervous here. Fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, we already talked about Steven Peterson versus Martin Bravo, and that, you know me, so you know that I'm all for journalism. I'm all. I know for that about you. Yes, a com- yeah. A complete accounting and full reportage on everything that's going on here. If I'm Steven Peterson, maybe I don't want Michael Bisping talking about my enema on the live broadcast of this fight. <laughs> really? Why not? I mean, shout out to Michael Bisping for doing his homework, digging up the, the true story about how Steven Peterson made work or made weight on this thing, but it's my enema, dog. I don't need you talking about my enema. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Keep some shit to yourself. Quite literally, keep some shit to yourself. Fucking kidding me? Intrepid journalist Michael Bisping. Talking to Stephen Peterson's brother in an elevator. Finding out about his enema. He's like, oh, this is good. I'm and definitely... Telling the world I'm definitely going to say the words enema on this broadcast. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. get started early on our UFC 243 talk, mainly because September 30th, a week from today, I get on a plane headed for Australia. And just to give you an idea of what that journey entails, I get on that plane September 30th. I land in Australia October 2nd. Whoa, that's uh, three days. Well, some of that is it's a long flight. Some of that is that Australia is way ahead of us, like it's already... They know the future in Australia right now. They know what's going to happen today. So there's that to contend with. When I get there, we might have to figure out some kind of recording schedule or whatever we can do. Probably will not have a podcast next Monday just because of the, the travel. So we got to get our initial hype out here for UFC 243, Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya. And I got to tell you, I feel like I've done been hyped for this one for a long damn time. Yeah. Here we are now, like just a little under two weeks out. The fight's still holding together. That bodes well so far. Yeah, this is kind of the opposite of some of these blockbuster UFC fights that feel like they uh, become an idea. And then the next thing you know, they're in the cage and it's happening. Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker has been on tap for a while. As we mentioned like a week or two ago, Israel Adesanya at this point, the only interim champion currently on the books Officially with the UFC, although also uh, Tony Tony Ferguson and uh, Colby Covington were one-time interim champions who never lost their belts, just had them evaporate from around their waists. Uh, and maybe The Rock has those now too. I don't know. I don't know how that works. What are they worth though? Yeah, we need to, we need to get a dollar value on there, like we're getting them insured or something. So we're gonna do this title unification style down there at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. You pretty excited to be going to uh, to Marvel Stadium? I'm excited to be going to Australia just in general. And I'm also super excited to see this very fight. Because I think it's an interesting fight stylistically. And it has the advantage of having, you know, we're going to talk about unifying the title and everything. But really what we're looking at is a pretty clear, at this point, I think, number one contender in Israel Adesanya at middleweight. And 
a really, really good champion in Bobby Knuckles at middleweight. And so not only do I think that their styles will be interesting to see how that they match up in there, but if Bobby Knuckles goes out here and wins this fight and looks good doing it, then I think you, for one thing, I think people will kind of go, oh yeah, I remember him. He's been gone a little while. And so maybe I kind of forgot about him. But then I think he'll have a strong case as one of the best all-around UFC champions. Yeah, and obviously if uh, if the amount that we get asked about this fight, both on the Wednesday Co-Main Event Podcast live chat and our Thursday textual live chat over on The Athletic, people are hyped for this. Because we get asked about Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya, I would say at least once per chat. Especially over on The Athletic chat uh, which catches some slightly more casual viewers or you know readers, people that aren't necessarily uh, totally hip to the co-main event podcast stuff. It seems like somebody always comes in the chat and, and is like, who do you like in Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya? Yeah, and see, that's always the, the question too, which I think tells you what an interesting fight this is and what an interesting matchup it is because that's always the question is, who do you think comes out on top in that one? Because it's hard to guess in advance how exactly those two different fighting styles are going to meld together. And I think the thing that both of us have been saying in response to that is Israel Adesanya is somebody where he seems like he has a great capacity to do really fun, exciting, and unpredictable things. Yeah. Like He always has that ability. He can always pull out something that you haven't seen before and is really creative out there and is really good at kind of like managing distance and his, his striking, I think, surprises a lot of people just and they're not prepared for the the angles that he comes at them from. I also though think that Robert Whitaker has a better all-around game. Is a big dude, big yeah. strong guy and has that kind of ability where if he wants to, he can pick to fight where his opponent is weaker. And I think that, that probably makes a difference in this Yeah, game. I think that we are in agreement that the pick is probably Bobby Knuckles here. Although, you know, despite the fact that he's 30 years old and has 17 overall MMA fights and six fights in the UFC, it kind of feels like Israel Adesanya is still somewhat young in the game. Like, we aren't totally sure what he's capable of in this sport. So, you know, if it turned out that he just had the, the striking advantage that Robert Whitaker just couldn't really handle him and he won this fight, I I wouldn't be shocked. I, you know, it's not necessarily what I expect. I expect, uh, like you said, Robert Whitaker to kind of have more tools and have the physical advantages here. But it is still an extremely compelling matchup of styles and an extremely interesting fight because uh, one of the things about it is that I'm just not sure exactly what Adesanya's ceiling is here. And like if it turned out that he was just the best middleweight on the planet, it wouldn't be a complete shocker. Yeah. I swear to God, if I get all the way over there and something happens to this fight, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Like another hernia? No hernias for Robert Whitaker this time around? Please. Please, I'm begging the gods upon Mount Zion. Let this one go through. If I go all the way over there and you tell me that I'm there to watch a main event between Ally Quinta and Dan Hooker, I mean, I'll watch that fight. But You'll I'll have be, no choice at that point. I'll be fucking seething inside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another one of the sort of uh, the downside, if you will, to having such a long run up to this fight that people have gotten so excited. I think it's going to be a huge fight uh, in that part of the world that part of it only piques your anxiety a little bit, especially if you are traveling into the future like you are to go there and watch the fight live. It only piques your anxiety that something might happen 
leading up to this thing. So are you prepared to wake up at like 3 a.m. to do a, uh, uh, to record a power hour? Probably not. I would think that since you are the one who's on the road, the getting up in the middle of the night onus would be on you. I was afraid you were going to say that. I'll still be here on, on the one true time zone time, regular time. So it's probably going to be. How about I'll just send you audio files of me just going, uh huh. Yeah. No, yeah, that makes sense. No, that's a dumb idea, Chad. And then you can just put them in there as you're talking. I mean, if you wanted it to be as realistic as possible, you would have to have multiple sound bites of you just interrupting me. Like, I'll go ahead, I'll start a sentence, and then you can... That's unfair. See, there you go. It's not fair at all. That's, that's how it goes down, right there. I think that you are jumping, putting the car before the horse a little bit here, just assuming you're going to get there. That you're going to get there at all. Do you have any international layovers? No. I go from here to, like, Seattle, and Seattle to LAX, and then LAX to Melbourne. Man, you're going to be in LA. This fight's going to be go down, going down. You're going to be watching it on TV for Why the four seasons. Why would you do that? Why would the four seasons? I should be so lucky. <laughs> well, you might as well treat yourself. You're not going to make it to the actual event, right? I got a few days to get there. I mean, I get there October 2nd. The fight's on like October 6th or something. It was really weird, though, trying to book the travel on this one because you're like, okay, it says it's on October 6th, but it's actually like that's, I think it airs here October 6th. I think it's like, or maybe, no, it airs here October 5th. And it's there October 6th. Something like that. It's like Sunday morning there. And so I had to rewrite. So I had to like come back on Monday. Hmm. So this is going to screw us up for two weeks. Well, I'll be back Monday by like four o'clock. If Man, you want to try to. You're not going to want to come record the podcast. Well, I never want to record Jet this podcast. Is all get out. Well, who knows? Don't tell. High the, on goofballs. Don't. Sleeping pills. Don't tell the gamblers that Australia is in the future. Because the people <laughs> over there in Australia already know what's going to happen. Okay. Because that, that'll screw up the whole betting lines for this whole fight. I can tell you one thing that I could look into the future and tell you was going to happen as soon as they announce this event, that Tai Tuivasa was going to be on it. Well, yeah. You're not getting in and out of Australia without Tai Tuivasa. You going to do a shoey at this thing since you'll be there live? A shoey on press row. Ben Folks, shoey on press row. They'll probably have you in the front row. I feel like that would be inappropriate. So we can see what's going on. We have for a lot see of reasons. Through the cage. How about as they are announcing Al Iaquinta and Dan Hooker, we look in the background, Ben Folks, doing a shoey on press row. What do you think? Out of my own shoe? Or anybody's shoe. See, that's the Lean kind of distinction. Lean over and take Dave Meltzer's shoe. So it's going to be me and Dave Meltzer in I Australia. I don't know who's huh? going to be there. Also, you've seen Dave. He knows where the weights are kept. You're not just taking Dave Meltzer's shoe. I would not try to take Dave Meltzer's shoe if I were you. No. Better targets out there for Ben Folks. Also, you know, it's if you do take Dave Meltzer's shoe, it's going to be a white New Balance. <laughs> yeah, you just know is. that. Yeah. How about this? Maybe uh, we do a uh, Ben Folks hashtag lifestyle piece for the Athletic. You and Rage and Al just out on the town in Melbourne. I would love that. See which one of us takes our shirt off first. It's going to be Al. Probably Spoiler gonna, alert: It's going to be Al. You should try to hook that up. I'll see what I can do. Call Al's people. Okay. See if they can set you up with something with, with the with the man himself. Al's people. You mean Ray Longo. Yeah, that's who I mean. Okay. Matt Sarah. That's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back. Round number three. I guess we got to give a shout out to Brent Brookhouse, noted MMA reporter, 
uh, currently covering MMA, boxing, and wrestling over at CBS Sports. Good to see Brent Brookhouse back in the game, yes, by the way, is. after a departure. Uh, he tweeted out today, there are 14 televised or streaming events in MMA, boxing, and kickboxing this weekend. Just this weekend. So if you are a combat sports fan trying to plan out your weekend, no shortage of stuff that should catch your attention this weekend. Here on the co-main event podcast, we are primarily interested in, I guess you could say, three events. You've got uh, the UFC headed over there to Copenhagen, Denmark for nearly the last leg of its international tour that it's been on here, I think, five out of the last six weeks. Going to wrap that up, obviously, with UFC 243 in Australia uh, the following week, and you will be there. Uh, This Saturday's uh, main event picks uh, Fast Dance and Jack Hermanson against Jared Cannonier. This is one of those events that's going to go down in the middle of the afternoon here in America with your uh, six-fight main card and seven-fight undercard. Bellator is putting on two events this weekend. Well, they're kind of doing that thing where it's like the same event that's they're going to call two different events, and then there's a third one the day after that. So let's like, call it two and a half events right. this weekend. You got one going down from Three Arena over there in Dublin. James Gallagher and Roman Salazar are the main event there. Catch weight at 140 pounds. You also got Benson Henderson on the card against Miles Fury Jury. You got Michael Page making an appearance here against uh, Richard Keeley. And then the following day... At the Forum in Inglewood, you'll be finishing off the first round of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. Uh, Leota Machida against Gegard Mousasi in the middleweight fight. Uh, Patricio Pitbull against Juan Archuleta in the uh, in the featherweight bracket. But the, the title's on the line right there. That's the uh, putting the title on the line, I think, in this tournament. And you also have, in a weird uh, wrinkle of scheduling here, a father and son team. AJ McKee and Antonio McKee both fight. They're not fighting each other, obviously. <laughs> that would be notable. That would be awkward. Not fighting in a tag team match, but they both have fights at this Bellator 228 event. AJ McKee, part of that featherweight Grand Prix, taking on uh, Georgie Karak... Knew I was going to nail this one. Karakanian. Karakanian. Nailed it. And a- Antonio McKee, I think he's this is be he's coming out of retirement for this fight, right? Yeah. William William Sirapol. Sirapol. Could have taken it a little bit easier on me with those names <laughs> for the McKee opponents. Let's start, I guess, with the UFC band a middleweight fight here, pitting Jack Hermanson against uh Jared Cannonier. Hermanson going for his fifth win in a row, of course, coming off back to back wins over David Branch, uh the newly cut JPD and David Branch and uh, Jacare Souza, who has since moved on to the light heavyweight division. Jared Cannonier uh, got that win over Anderson Silva at UFC 237 and also beat the executive Dave Branch back at UFC 230. I don't know exactly what is at stake here, although I guess for Jack Hermanson, it could be something approaching top contender fight. Like, it could be a number one-ish contender fight for him. Yeah, I think, I mean, you beat David Branch, Jacques Array, and then you get a win here in your own main event over Jared Cannonier. Then I also think they're going to look around after Bobby Knuckles and Israel Adesanya and be like, who is there at middleweight who hasn't already fought? Especially if Robert Whitaker retains the title, I think they're going to look and go, well, shit. He beat a whole lot of people on his way here. 
and then now he's already defended the title and beat some people. We just need fresh faces for him to fight, and then you'll have Singing and Dance and Jack Hermanson. He's been one of my favorite kind of come out of nowhere stories at middleweight. I think, yeah, because he's one of those guys where either because of fighting style or just because of the way he looks, and he seems like a super nice guy, and so. I think it's been hard for people to come around to the idea of taking him seriously as a top, you know, elite threat at middleweight. Instead, people have thought of him as, he's fun. Yeah. He's a fun guy to have around. Yeah. But he's never going to be somebody who really matters in the division. And now, he is slowly becoming somebody who matters in the division. And I am into it. Yeah, no, I agree. He he is a nice surprise. It's weird to talk about a guy being a surprise when he's been in the UFC since 2016. He's... uh I believe seven and two over that time. So he's been pretty darn good, but maybe one of the problems with Jack Hermanson leading up to, you know, a couple of high profile fights against branch and Jacare was that he was one of these guys that seemed like the UFC hid him a little bit. Like he's a guy that you're going to call if you're going to Hamburg, Germany, you're going to call him. If you're going to Brazil, you're going to be call him. If you're going to Mexico, uh, obviously going to Copenhagen, if you're going to Copenhagen, you're going to slot him at the main of, as the main event there. Uh, but, you know, because of the somewhat low-profile nature of some of those early fights and the fact that there's so many damn events, it took Jack Hermanson a while to differentiate himself from the rest of the crowd. Now that he's done it, he gets himself into this fight against Jared Cannonier, where there might actually be some meaningful stakes for him here, since he could vault himself into a title fight uh, if he gets the win. And he's like a two-to-one favorite here, so people are expecting him to go in there and probably get the win. And... I don't know. I think this is one where, uh, just in general, looking at this card, somebody pointed out to me on the mailbag that there's it's kind of a sneakily good fight card. Yeah. Or at least like there's a few interesting, you know, Gunnar Nelson's on this one, Ion uh, Kudalaba and uh, Khalil Roundtree. Like that's one of those fights you make because you're like, well, we'd like to see somebody get knocked out. Yeah. So we'll put those guys there together. Uh, you got some pretty good fights on this one, and I think maybe this is the one. Maybe where if if Jack Hermanson has a spotlight kind of all to himself. After he surprised us, we kind of all looked at him when he went in to fight Jacare, and we were like, well, the weirdo guillotine probably isn't going to be enough to beat Jacare. And then he just took it to Jacare, like the entire, like made Jacare look like he wanted to be somewhere else in that fight. And then now he gets his own chance where he's the headliner in, in Denmark. I don't know. I could see if he goes out there and has a good win, I could see people getting excited about Jack Hermanson. Yeah, I and agree. It's right in time for this middleweight title fight to be the following weekend. There you go. It's good uh, good positioning here for Jack Hermanson. The, yeah. You might say the the one drawback here is being on an ESPN Plus card in the middle of the day in America, but maybe people will tune in for it, you know, just, just because of the different time slot. Uh, you got Gilbert Burns here stepping in on short notice to fight Gunnar Nelson. You got Ovin St. Prue on this card. You got Lando Venata on this card. So if, you, if you're having yourself a spare Sunday after or Saturday afternoon. This might be one you want to check out. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about Bellator. You know, one of the interesting things that I found out last week as I was reporting this story about Patty Houlihan that's up on The Athletic right now, kind of about how Patty had his he was forced into retirement essentially in his late twenties at twenty eight years old because he has a rare blood disorder that basically uh, it can make him bleed like a hemophiliac. So once people found about that publicly, they were like, yeah, you, we're not going to let you fight anymore. Uh, and he's in some ways reinvented himself as a, a local politician over there in Ireland. Uh, I was talking to Sean Sheehan from Severe MMA, obviously got his ear to the ground 
vis-a-vis the Irish MMA scene. And one of the interesting things he pointed out to me is that at this point, Conor McGregor is the only Irish-born and Irish-trained fighter in the UFC at all. And that one of the reasons that that is the case is because there there have been a a, a bevy, again, or, or like a, a handful of well-known Irish fighters that have either retired or departed the UFC for various reasons, Patty Houlihan being one of them. And the new generation of Irish contenders coming out of John Kavanaugh's Straight Blast Gym there in Dublin are all going to Bellator. And one of those guys, obviously, is James Gallagher, who is kind of sort of being positioned as the Bellator version of Conor McGregor in some ways. Uh, A young guy who doesn't have very many fights, and obviously he's in his catchweight against Roman Salazar, but at the same time, a guy who, you know, in a different, if things had played out differently, might have wound up in the UFC and might be sort of leading the charge of the new generation of Irish fighters in the octagon. Instead, you're seeing a lot of these guys go to Bellator. Yeah, and Bellator's, let's say, ambitious plan of international expansion, at least in a few key areas. Yeah. I'm interested in Ireland, England, and Italy, pretty much, like above everything else here. It does, though, strike me as weird that if you're Bellator and you have a couple different things you're trying to get accomplished this weekend, like continue our foray into Ireland and really making that a viable market that we can keep going back to. But also we want to do this, you know, continue this tournament. Why do those on the same weekend? Because it seems to me like if you're Bellator, aren't you better off being more of a constant presence in people's lives than just being gone, you know, being off for a couple of weeks being or being quiet for a little while and then just suddenly inundating them where you really expect us to watch back-to-back nights of Bellator? Yeah, and I think that the optics of it are you know, maybe worse than it actually is. If I had to guess, I would say that Bellator doesn't really expect the American crowd to be all that hyped about Bellator 227, which is going down in Dublin. Like, they're going to put the Benson Henderson-Miles Jury fight uh, on tape delay, I think, on Paramount and on DAZN. But, like, the the James Gallagher-Michael Page part of this card seems uh, tailored to the niche of Europe and Ireland, and I would say that's probably the main focus there. And as you know, Bellator is trying to make a, a push in those countries in Europe, as you mentioned. And then the you know the following day, the uh, Bellator 228 in California with the Featherweight Grand Prix, uh, a Pitbull brother, Machida, you know, Darian Caldwell is is one that seems like it would is being marketed and would to appeal more to American fans. So I think like to us, we look at it and we think. Bellator is putting on literally about 50 fights this weekend. <laughs> I think the way they see it is like they're trying to serve these two different markets. All in one weekend. Yeah. And some of that maybe is like how we've been taught to feel by the UFC. Where we're like, even if the fight is in uh, you know, Europe and it goes down in the middle of the day, there's still pressure on us that we need to watch it if we're true fans. I think Bellator is kind of doing doing something a little bit different here. They're They're... Uh, maybe marketing these things to different different markets. Maybe they'll uh, they'll just fill me in on Miles Jury versus Benson Henderson later on. Yeah, right. Your Bellator newsletter that you get, right? I, I might as well get a Bellator newsletter. I get enough emails from them. All right, let's do uh, just saying stuff, Ben. 
And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, I'm just saying, did you see they booked Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky? Yep. UFC 245. So I guess I'm just saying, finally. All right. Remember, it seemed like uh, Volkanovsky was going to have the, the the inside track to Max Holloway a fight before this, but he had a blood infection, scarily enough. Yeah, that's terrifying. They decided to go ahead and book Frankie Edgar at UFC 240, of course, uh, Holloway bounced back uh, like from his first loss in six years, obviously, to Dustin Poirier. Handled Edgar in Holloway-esque style. Now we're finally going to get the two young guns, the, the, the two top featherweights right now in the UFC, Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah. Get, getting that booking. Also, the other news around uh, the Twitter sphere that I'm seeing is uh, we're really doing the steep A Daniel Cormier 3. Okay. So just take a deep breath and get yourself rehyped for that one. Is that going to be up this event also? I don't know. UFC 245. That's the uh, when is that one going down? Is that the the New York City card? It seemed a little soon for for that, wouldn't? Those big heavyweights just beat the shit out of each other. Maybe we give them some time. Uh, but I'm just saying, Jen. This Friday, September 27th. You know what's happening? Uh, Bellator in Ireland. That is happening. Okay. Also, Endeavor is launching its initial public offering on stock. Oh. Going public. The parent company of the UFC. This is what we've been saving all that Patreon money for. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm just saying, I think just as a, a kind of public experiment, the CME must purchase stock. We must become part owners of this shit, Chad. <laughs> and then act like total assholes about it. Because not only would the if the, the UFC is being mismanaged or poorly run, they'll be fucking with our money, Chad. That's we true. won't be having that. One thing I could safely forecast is that we would act like assholes about it. Mm-hmm. We're... It sounds like uh, we're looking at about thirty to thirty-two dollars a share on this. Oh no, no problem. How many should we put you down for? Uh, two shares. Okay, all right. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll, I'll go two shares as well, <laughs> and uh, then you know. How many shares are there? Are four shares between us going to make us? Uh, is that going to give us control of Endeavor? Yeah, yeah. There can't be much more than four shares. Is that going to complete the hostile takeover? Yeah. The co-main event podcast and our patrons will pretty much be running Endeavor at that I point. Think four shares should be sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Let's do it. Book okay. it. Put me down for sixty-five bucks. Done. I'm just saying. That's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, we will not be back next week, or not on Monday. Probably not. Next week's schedule is all up in the air due to Ben's travel schedule. Remember though. Uh, we got our live chat on Wednesday and also our episode of the co-main event podcast Patreon Movie Club about Silence of the Lambs. The following edition of the Movie Club is going to be listener generated. That's right. So if you're a top tier patron, now is when you want to hit us up with your suggestions for the, the listener's choice movie club. We will put some of them up for a vote. That's right. Send us a, uh, a message over on Patreon. We will, we will choose a couple of finalists and put those up for vote from all of the people uh, who are patrons of the podcast. Uh, Until then, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. So once we have those four shares, and really, then we're shot callers. That's right. That endeavor. Uh, Then, do you think, should we send like a, like a notary, notarized letter to the UFC with certain demands and things?
like to see? Yeah, I think they like when we buy those shares, they'll probably reach out to us. Okay, they'll, we'll just get a call. Yes, okay. they'll probably send us everyone's personal cell phone numbers and say call any time of the day or night. There's going to be a video of us driving around the Las, the Las Vegas Strip in Dana White's Ferrari, like that Conor McGregor video. Yeah. That's, there's going to be that. One of my first suggestions is I think we should find a way to make these belts for cheaper than $50,000. I don't think it needs to cost $50,000. A little cost share. Shaving yeah. save a little money. It's just, you know, I'm not saying like hand them up to cheap piece of junk, but let's be efficient. You know what? You're already showing why you're the right guy for this company. Belt tightening over there. Let's talk about it.